doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Frankie about nonspecific interstitial pneumonia. This is a rare disorder affecting the tissue surrounding the air sacs of the lungs. This tissue becomes inflamed and over time it can lead to permanent scarring. Nonspecific interstitial pneumonia can be found in several diseases, including mixed connective tissue disease, which Frankie also has. There are two primary forms of this disease, cellular and fibrotic. The cellular form is mainly defined by inflammation, and the fibrotic form is defined by thickening and scarring of this tissue. And Frankie has the latter form, the fibrotic form. As you might imagine, this scarring makes it difficult to breathe, leading to lower levels of oxygen in the blood. Frankie did an amazing job in this conversation. Uh, this is the first time that I've spoken to someone from the hospital. Frankie was having an infusion done on the day that we spoke. And I, it just felt like such a special experience. I, I, I just want to bring you all into this experience today because getting to see the world through Frankie's eyes, hear about what she's going through, hear about her disease from her in her own words was just really special. And I felt so honored to be a part of the conversation. I'm so excited to bring it to you today. I'm so grateful to Frankie for spending her time and energy to come on the show. So we're going to get to that in just a couple minutes. I'm so excited to announce that we have a new patron. Thank you so much, Brooke, for signing up to support the Major Pain Podcast at the patron tier of $7 per month. Brooke will receive a coaster handmade by my mom with the Major Pain logo on it. I send those out at the beginning of the next month, so I'll be mailing that out at the beginning of October. But starting today, you'll hear Brooke's name in the thank yous at the very end of the podcast. I have more to say about Brooke, but that's going to tie into the news that I have to share with you this week. So I'm going to hold off on that for just a second. So last week I talked about how I am waiting for a couple of really important pieces of news in my life. I'm waiting to hear if, I, if my uh, disability claim will be approved and if I can get onto disability and finally have some income after five years of not being able to work. And I'm also waiting for my hepatologist, which is a liver doctor, to order a test for me. It's uh, called the penicillamine challenge, where I'm going to collect my urine for 24 hours. So this test is hopefully going to tell us what my copper levels are, and it might reveal a diagnosis for me. It might reveal that I have either Wilson's disease or a non-Wilson's form of copper processing issues that's similar enough to be treated the same way. So if you've been listening to the show, you know anything about me, you know that getting a diagnosis is the big deal. That's the big thing that I have been waiting for. So I first wrote into my doctor and asked for this test to be ordered on a Friday. And she had been waiting to hear from me because I had to be allergy tested to see if I could do this test. The answer was, yes, I can do it. So I wrote to her and I said, yes, I'm ready. Let's do the test. I'm ready and eager and uh, didn't hear back. So I called the office on a Tuesday and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. She'll get right back to you. We'll get that ordered right away. Didn't hear back. Called again on a Thursday. Talked to someone else who, who seemed very confused. <laughs> Didn't really seem to know how to help me, but said they would check with the doctor and they'd get right back to me. Waited a few more days. Today is Monday and I still hadn't heard back yet. So I called the office again and they had like no notes that I had called. They had <laughs> no progress had been made at all about having the doctor order this test for me. But luckily, the person I talked to was able to talk to my doctor who just stepped out of an appointment. And she said that she's actually not 100% sure how to even order this test for me because she's never done it before because this is a rare disease. So I'm still waiting. I have not done the test yet. I did manage to finally get a hold of someone who actually talked to my doctor, but it took almost a week and a half. And I've got no new information to share on that front. 
I did, however, get my letter of rejection from the Social Security Administration, so I did not get on disability. This was not a surprise. I've seen several different statistics for this, so I'm not sure what is true, but I've heard that it's between 60 to 85% of all disability applicants are denied the first time. So I was expecting to be denied, but I was not expecting how much it hurt. It just hurt. (laughs) Getting a letter in the mail from the Social Security Administration telling me, you are not disabled, You you should be able to work, hurt. The letter says that my condition is limiting but not disabling, according to their determination, and that I am still able to work and have gainful employment, which is news to me. <laughs> I talked about the, the medical examination that I had, and I had one of my all-time worst days during that examination where like, my right leg wasn't responding at all. I could barely sit up straight. My muscle spasms were insane. I had a really hard time speaking. And in no, in no universe is the person who sat there in that examination able to perform a job. When my flare-up first started, I had a job, and I couldn't perform it, and I had to leave the job because I could not perform my job. I don't know of any job where I can work only the hours that I feel up to working, where I can show up on the days where my body functions and not show up on the days where I can't, where my workload is, is uh, flexible enough that I don't have to do any of it on the days where I can't do it. I don't know of any jobs that fit with my current physical condition. This part of why I created this podcast is I wanted to do something. You know, I don't want to just sit around and watch TV and play video games all day. I wanted to have something that I could do inside of my physical state. And because this podcast revolves around chronic illness, everyone involved in it understands what my limitations are and allows for that. And my, my guests all have similar limitations. You know, we can only talk on the days where we feel up to it. You know, trying to get two chronically ill people together to do something is a comedy of errors. And we reschedule most of the conversations that I have scheduled. They happen eventually and I get the show done because I'm way ahead on the work. You know, that's how I have to do it because I work really slowly and some days I can't work at all. And no employer is going to hire me in that condition that I know of. So it's, it's pretty offensive and extremely unhelpful to get this official document from the Social Security Administration telling me that I can work because it's like, great, are you going to give me a job? Are you going to point me in a direction of something where I can get a job in my physical state? You aren't. No, you aren't. So yeah, obviously I'm a little pissed. You know, I'm angry. And it sucks because I knew this was coming. I expected this to happen, but it still just hurts when it happens because the letter they sent me was rude. <laughs> So yes, I got that letter in the mail and I was unhappy. (laughs) I actually got pretty depressed about it for a couple days because as someone with a chronic illness, every time I get like an official denial of the existence of my chronic illness, I go in this anxiety spiral of like, oh my God, am I making this up? Is this all in my head? And that's just so ingrained in me from years of doctors telling me that I was making it up and that it was all in my head. So I've done so much work to try to accept what's happening and be okay and at peace and patient with what's happening to my body as the medical system tries to catch up. And we're so close. We might be so close. I might be diagnosed by next week if this test says that there's a lot of copper in my pee. That's all it's going to take right now for me to get a diagnosis to the point where I could start treatment. The diagnosis could be wrong. The treatment will be the proof. If I treat and get better, then we know for sure that the diagnosis was correct. And even so, even though we have blood tests saying that my copper levels are off, that we have this really strong theory that I might have Wilson's disease or something similar, even though now my doctors are great, the University of Washington has done a really great job of caring for me. My primary care is awesome. I'm in a completely different place than I used to be. And still, when I got this letter, it sent me into this spiral of 
of depression, basically, of like, wow, you know, I might be crazy. I might be making this up because the government thinks that I don't that I don't have a disabling condition. And that brings us back to Brooke, our new patron, because Brooke signed up on Patreon that day, (laughs) the day that I got this denial letter. And I emailed her to thank her because I was so excited. And Brooke is actually coming on the podcast soon. We have not recorded it yet. I try not to announce things before they're recorded because I don't like to jinx it. Um, but we have a scheduled recording coming up. And I emailed Brooke to say, hey, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're supporting the podcast, especially today when I was denied for disability. And I, she sent me this incredible email. And I asked for her permission to share this because I think it's really important. So Brooke says, I remembered hearing you say that you were in the process of dealing with disability, and I thought this might be the perfect time to help out with what I can. I have been through that horrid process as well. My adrenal cancer diagnosis alone was supposed to be an automatic disability approval. It's considered a terminal diagnosis. It's on the compassionate allowance immediate approval list. Those cases are approved in about four months usually. They denied me with this and the 16 other conditions for 19 months. It's terrible. I had to hire an attorney, and once my case was heard by a judge, he chastised the Social Security Administration for denying me. Because of how badly they messed up, he awarded benefits several years back. I am so sorry to hear that they denied you. I want to encourage you to keep fighting. They want us to quit. One of the things I learned in the process is they want to know about symptoms and how they prevent you from working. Doctors are not good about recording symptoms and their impact in their notes. So my attorney advised me to type up my symptoms and how they impact my daily life before every appointment and ask that every doctor scan the document to my medical records. They also told me to never answer the question, how are you with good or fine? This is a habit in our culture when people ask us this and doctors tend to go overboard with stating improvement slash good in their notes. They told me to be brutally honest in describing symptoms. In hindsight, I wish I had begun the process with a lawyer. I didn't get a lawyer until my third denial. Being denied is so discouraging. Brooke, thank you so much for your email. I'm really glad that we have a recording scheduled. I want to hear your story and learn more about what you've been through. I've never heard of an adrenal cancer before. I hope you are doing well. And I'm so grateful that you're going to take the time to come on the show. I can't wait to record that. So Brooke really made me feel better in many ways. (laughs) Getting this denial is pretty crushing. But hearing from someone else who's gone through it, who obviously had a clear reason, a much clearer reason to get disability than I do, being denied, telling me about what I can do, uh, giving me some ideas to try, so helpful, so appreciated, made me feel so much better. And not just that, but she also signed up to support this podcast on Patreon. I mean, I'll be totally honest, I would love to get a diagnosis and be able to go back to work and not have to because this podcast has taken off. I mean, one can dream, right? Um, that's, that's definitely something that I would love, you know, to be able to make this podcast my full-time career. 100%, I'd be super on board with that. That's why I started a Patreon, because if for some reason this podcast were to explode, um, then I'm set up for that. And that would be amazing, because I want to create something that gives back to this community that is useful for other people, that I enjoy creating, that gives my life meaning and purpose for a job. That's what I've always wanted to do for a job. And I am in this incredibly lucky position where I have friends and family supporting me. And I just, I think about this all the time, how many people there are out there with disabilities or mystery illness, invisible illness, anything disabling in their life who don't have that support and how many of those people end up without a home and how many of those people are just struggling so much 
And I, my heart breaks for those people because our society is just really doing wrong by them. And I'm so lucky that even though I have not been able to get on disability, I still have this support structure. I mean, I, I wouldn't be making this podcast without that support structure uh, of my family and my loved ones. So I know you're listening. Thank you all so much who are helping to keep me afloat while I'm not able to keep myself afloat. It just means so much to me. And my dreams are big and I hope to be able to make content that reaches people and inspires people that supports me. And that, I mean, that would be incredible. And I, if that comes to pass, it will be because I had the support of these friends and family right now when I need it the most. So one last thank you to Brooke, our brand new patron. Thank you so much to everyone else supporting us on Patreon. If you'd like to support this show, plans start at $2 a month for the supporter tier. Head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. Extra special thank you to Steve Cavanaugh, our Patreon producer, who helped to make this show possible today. If you can't support the show financially, I 100% get it because I wouldn't be able to support this show financially if I were you. So if you want to support the show in other ways, there are some really important ways to do that. One is to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The other is to head to our social media sites, TikTok and Instagram at Major Pain Podcast and support the show on those platforms. And honestly, just being here and listening is is huge. I, I understand that there's an aspect of this show that... A lot of people would say, I do not want to listen to that. <laughs> a lot of people might see this show and say, wow, chronically ill people talking about being chronically sick. That sounds awful. I don't want to listen to that. And I want it, obviously. I want to create it because I think there's a need for it because I feel like so many of us are not given voices so often. Um, like this conversation with Frankie, I never would have had this conversation with Frankie if it hadn't been for this podcast. And it was a really special afternoon for me. And the fact that I get to share it is just, just fills me with joy. So I, I love this. I, I feel so passionately about this. The fact that you're here listening means that you either actively support this show or you're giving it a try and hopefully will come on board with us and hear these stories. Because, you know, as, as much as I like to talk my main goal here is to share other people's stories and to collect uh, a library of what it's like to be chronically ill in the world right now, because it's hard and it's isolating. And all those people who think that the idea of this show is a turnoff, that they don't want to be anywhere near, none of those people are going to help us. You know, none of those people are going to make our lives any easier as the chronically sick. So we got to help each other. And we are all running low on energy and resources and it's just, it's tough. You know, how do you support each other when we can't support ourselves? And this podcast helps me. It makes me feel supported and it lifts me up out of what I'm experiencing. And I have just been happier since I started this show. I felt more productive. Um, I've been more grateful for what I have and I've been more appreciative in general. So I really appreciate you being here and listening. And with that, we're going to jump into our conversation with Frankie about nonspecific interstitial pneumonia. Frankie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm very excited to talk to you today. This is a first for Major Pain. We are speaking to you from the infusion ward. <laughs> yes, yes. They said I'm always the first for everything. So, <laughs> well, I really appreciate you making the time to talk to us today. This is very special and I, I really appreciate it. Um, so, let's get into it. Frankie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so, I'm 43. I 
am one of those who does have to live with their parents, but I love my parents, so it works. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I enjoy crafts. Um, I enjoy animals. And uh, I enjoy people. Hmm. Um, biggest thing I miss about the uh, pandemic is being around people. So those are my three biggest hobbies. <laughs> so I, I don't. Um, and I miss travel. Like, I don't travel very far, but I do miss being able to go to my home state, Texas. And, you know, that's kind of put a damper on things. But, you know, hey, we'll get back there one day. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. So if you're not in your home state, where are you now? Um, I am just about an hour and a half southwest of Wichita, Kansas. Awesome. How's, how's the weather out there? Oh, my goodness. It is hot. It is humid. <laughs> It is crazy. Like they keep calling for cold fronts of like 80 degrees. And I'm like, I need a cold front of like 60 degrees. Come on, man. <laughs> a cold front of 80 degrees. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's what I keep saying. But, you know, Kansas weather is so unpredictable. Hmm. It could start out nice, mild, turn into a tornado go back to nice, mild, and then freezing at night. It's just crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite the day. Um, yeah, so Frankie, why don't you tell us what is your major pain? My major pain is a rare lung condition called nonspecific interstitial pneumonia. Um, it's a lung disease. It's two kinds, cellular and fibrosis. I have fibrosis. Um, which is scarring. So the uh, my lungs get a lot of inflammation and um, the air sacs can't move properly like they're supposed to. So I don't get the oxygen that my body requires. And a lot of times it's mixed in with another condition called mixed connective tissue disease. So we have three or more autoimmune disorders at the same time. Wow. So, yeah, it's like everything hurts. Yeah. And on top of being in pain, you cannot breathe. So it's a daily struggle just to just to get out of bed some days. Wow. Can you tell me a little bit about what it feels like? Um, so with the lung disease, it feels like I'm constantly running a race mm. where I've at the end of the race and you're trying to catch your breath but even at normal respiratory rate i just have the air hunger mm. where i feel like i've just been running constantly and it burns like um when you sit too close to a fire mm. and you inhale that heat and it goes straight to your lungs it's like that and it's like that 24 7 wow when so, were you when were you first diagnosed i was first diagnosed august 2017, two days after my first full respiratory failure. And it took them two years to figure it out. Wow. They kept saying that I had asthma, but the asthma doctor, uh, my immunologist, she kept saying this, her, her tests are, it's not asthma. Something's not right with her lungs, but it's not asthma. But I didn't have the full experience until august 6th and that's when i was first rushed to the hospital when my oxygen was 57 percent 
And then that's when they started taking me serious. Wow. Like, oh, something's wrong. And I had become prone to pneumonia is part of the name, nonspecific interstitial pneumonia. Um, I can't clear the fluid from my air sac, so it turns into pneumonia. So on August 6th, I had three quarters of my lungs were completely full of fluid. So basically I was drowning, but after being told it's anxiety over and over, you just stop going to the hospital. Yeah. So had my friend not woke me up that morning, I may have drowned in my own fluid that day. Wow. It just, it just makes me so mad. I mean, everyone I talk to on this show has experienced some form of doctors not taking them seriously or being told it's, you know, emotional when it is in fact physical. How did, how did that make you feel? Um, it's frustrating. Um, I'm going to get emotional now because I've had a very frustrating couple of weeks. I just found out I had a mild stroke sometime between July 11th and August 10th. And when I came to the doctor, because something was off in my head and my my vision was blurry and doubled and I couldn't put a sentence together correctly. They told me it was a migraine and to go to my optometrist. My rheumatoid doctor, she, um, I'm, a, I'm sorry, I can't, my speech is still a little slurred. Um, re, my rheumatologist, and I don't care if you use this because it shows how I have to struggle. Yeah. Um, she, um, she was, she's the one who listens to me and she's like, can I do an MRI? And I was like, yeah, you can, you know, I don't care. And she's like, well, there is a little um area in your brain, but it's a, you know, I think it's just inflammation from your MCTD. And I was like, okay, well, 12 days later, I'm on my way to a lumbar puncture to repeat the results. And I get informed by my rheumatologist that um, the MRI was in fact way more abnormal than she had originally thought. And after my procedure, I was to be admitted into the hospital for further testing. And that's when I found out I had a stroke 30 days prior, somewhere in the 30 days. So it, it's frustrating because had it not been a mild stroke, how would I be right now? Yeah. Would I, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. They just, because we don't present normal textbook doesn't mean we don't, we're not in tune with what's going on inside of our body. And when it's off, we know it's off. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just beyond infuriating that we have to go through this just to get answers. And we actually have to have, the condition happened like they could have prevented the stroke because they found out it was a blood clot. But had they listened, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm so glad that your rheumatologist takes you seriously, but j- just having to talk about which doctors take you seriously <laughs> is so upsetting. It's like, why? Well, it's just so common in, in the medical field. I'm getting upset just, you know, hearing you talk um, about it because I've experienced 
I've experienced that so many times where I talk to a doctor and I say, hey, this thing in my body has changed or this thing in my body feels wrong. And they say, oh, it's probably nothing. You know, it's probably just stress. It's probably, you know, um, just an emotional response or something. And it, it just takes dramatic problems for doctors to, to really listen. And, you know, I'm, this is like a blanket statement. It's not always true. And some doctors are different than others, but it, it really feels like they don't want to listen sometimes. It, it hurts, you know, like when you're in pain and you're hurting and you need help, you go to a doctor for help and, and they don't help sometimes. And it just, it just breaks my heart, you know? Very true. It's very true. And as a, on top of being chronically ill, I have chronic pain. Yeah. So when my chain, my pain shifts, I know it's something new. But when I go to the doctor, they tell me it's my old pain. And just to, you know, take it easy, I'm in a flare up. Well, okay. So I go in for example, October 31st, 2020, I went to the ER. My lungs were hurting differently. Vitals were normal. And they were like, this is anxiety and sent me home. 24 hours later, I went back. I'm like, this is not anxiety. This is wrong. It hurts differently. I'm breathing differently. So to quiet me, the provider said, just to make you feel better, I want to do a CAT scan. And I'm like, yes, please, that will make me feel better. And she come back 30, not 30 minutes later, freaking out because there were three pulmonary embolism in my lungs, two in the right, one in the left, three. And it was anxiety, but it was a new pain. But it went back to anxiety and chronic pain. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I kind of, I talked a long way around, but I eventually get there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, I totally hear you. I mean, ugh, it's so frustrating. Can you tell me about how your life changed when this happened? Because it sounds like it started, you know, like five, four or five years ago. And you mentioned that you're 45. So what was your life like right. before this? Okay. I'm, well, I'm 43. 43. Okay. 45 is close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Rounding up. Yeah. Nice, even number. Exactly. I guess and 45 I is an odd number, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're saying. I'm the same way. I have to be a zero or five. I get it. Yeah. Um, so before the disease, uh, okay. So I was medically disabled in 2012 from the chronic pain issue. Oh, wow. I had fallen and ruptured my L4. And out of that, I've had four pretty major lumbar surgeries. But I worked from, I injured myself in 2005, but I worked until 2011. And they were like, you're done. If you want to walk, you're going to have to quit working. But I was a restaurant manager and a volunteer EMT. So I was pretty active. Yeah, I was pretty involved in my community. And then the I had to quit working and I kind of it changes you um I search for my old self daily and I know I'm never going to get her back but you know I miss being able to just get up and go yeah um it's very social uh like I never sat still ever and now it's if you don't sit still you can't breathe so Mm. it's just amazing how it's come full circle kind of in a way. If you think about it from my old life, it just 360. Yeah. Um, I did when I did quit working for 
a company. Um, I did kind of create my own cleaning service where I only clean for disabled and elderly individuals. Yeah, because um, they couldn't do it themselves. Yeah. And everybody was taking advantage of them price wise. And I went off with their income and what they couldn't couldn't afford to pay. And if they couldn't pay me for a month, that's fine. I understand your house needs to be clean. Laundry needs to be done. And then three years into it, I'm right there where I fully depend on my mom to do what I was doing for them for me. In August of 2005, I fell at work. And after dealing with them for a year, I was like, I'm done. Let me go to my own doctor's because I wasn't getting anywhere. And they tell you it's all in your head and they won't help you. Mm. So, yeah. And so I finally got it just dismissed and with the work comp people. And I went to my own doctor's. And they were like, oh, your L4, L5 is ruptured. I don't know how you're walking right now. And I'm like, barely. Wow. Um, so they did surgery, but this was back when they were using that bone growth stimulator. So the bone growth overgrew hmm. and it made the L4 to the L1 unstable. So they had to go in and fuse that all together. And that went pretty well after that for a couple of years. But then I had a spinal stenosis because after one back surgery, you're going to require more as time goes on. And then on top of that, you add in the lung disease medications I have to take. So the bones have softened. Mm. And so between the lung disease and the original injury, I had to have two more surgeries. For my back. Wow. And then two more surgeries for my hips because I lost both of them um, to fracture and bone disease. And then I've also, I don't tell many people this, but I will go ahead and share. Um, I have lost all my teeth because of my medication. Mm. Um, So it's just been, I'm sorry, I'm so tired it's okay you're doing you're doing great you've been through so much in the last few years it's like you're it's so it's so frustrating your body just turned on you how how do you i mean but you're still here you're still pushing and still fighting how do you feel about the journey overall i ask myself that daily um so in the beginning frustrating you're mad just not accepting it and then one day i just woke up and I'm like, I can be pissed off for the rest of my life, excuse my language, or I can live my life the best I can with what I'm doing now. Yeah. And so that's how I look at it. Totally. Um, it's the only way I can look at it. If I try to, like, I do try to search for my old self, but if I spend too long searching for her, I get wrapped up in it mm-hmm. and then I can't move forward. Mm-hmm. I get stuck. Totally. So I just kind of have to miss or grieve her for a moment, if you will, and then get on with it. I don't, I don't know if I answered that correctly, but you did absolutely, and I, I totally understand what you're saying. You're, you're saying that things happen that we don't have control over. Things that we wish wouldn't change do change, and you can either fight against it or you can accept it 
And because if you're fighting against something that you don't have control over, you're fighting yourself in a way. And, you know, no one would choose to go through what you're going through, but it's happening and you're choosing to accept it and you're choosing to try to move forward in, the, in a way that's the best that you can. And I think that's the best choice to make, you know? You're trying to find some way to, you know, be as happy as you can inside of what you're experiencing. And I, I think that that's so admirable. And I mean, what else can you do? It's like, you, like you're saying, you can be pissed off forever or you can accept it and try to work with it. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. And I really commend you for that. Exactly. It's the only thing, you know, that I've, I learned that I could do like growing up, my parents, I never got it until I got sick yeah. saying that be grateful for what you have and don't compare yourself to others because yeah. somebody always has it worse than you. Well, okay. So I get, don't compare myself to others. And every once in a while, I'll admit, I do have my pity party, but mm. I am glad that, I mean, even though I'm technically not, bedridden i'm close to it and i know my limits so there are those that even, can't even you know go to the doctor's office anymore. so i'm still grateful that i can just go to the doctor's office because that that's my adventures leaving my house to go to the doctor i don't <laughs> know if that <laughs> that makes any sense it but does that's for sure where I find joy these days is like, when do I get out of the house? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, th during COVID, the the place I've gone the most is the doctor. <laughs> that's like right. what? Like, that's like a day out. Things. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? I, I totally get it. Absolutely. So your lung condition? Yeah. Did you say that that's an autoimmune disease? Um. Yeah, they're saying. Well, it could be genetic. It could be autoimmune. Mm -hmm. They're thinking mine is autoimmune. Um, because it usually goes hand in hand with the mixed connective tissue disease. Um, and all the blood tests indicate that it kind of is right there on the mixed connective tissue disease um, hip. And um, my imaging kind of mirrors that. But some some babies, babies are born with it. I can't imagine, like I'm an adult and I... I don't even know how to deal with it during my respiratory failures. I can't imagine what little babies um, have to go through. Um, yeah. And there's not a cure. There's not a cure. There's only treatment to slow down the progression. Do they um, have any idea what, what causes it? I mean, I know with autoimmune diseases, the answer is usually no. They don't know why it happens. It's just your body starts to um, attack itself in, in one way or another. But is there any... Uh, is there a lot known about this disease or is it something that they're still studying and trying to learn about? Um, it, there's not a lot known about it. We, yeah. We're still um, trying to study and bring awareness to it. Mm. Um, most of my, like, if you're not my pulmonologist, you don't know what I'm talking about when I go to a new doctor or I'm admitted to the hospital about every two to four weeks. Yeah. And my nurses have never even heard of it on mm. the respiratory floor. And so I have to educate them a little bit. Um, and then you get, you always get that. Um, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Ugh. Let me, let me go um, talk to your doctor because I think you're confused, Ugh. you know, kind of thing because nobody knows about it. So here is a patient with a rare condition trying to educate you, but you, it's so far fetched that you can't what? 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's um, this. This drives me crazy. It's it, you know, there's this like feeling in the medical field that if a doctor doesn't know about something, it's not real. But it's, right. there's just so much to know. Like no one doctor in the world knows about every disease. You know, like Dr. House from TV, that's not real. Right. <laughs> there's no Dr. Right. House. There's nobody that, that has an encyclopedia of every disease in their head. And I, it's just, it's just, it's so frustrating because like doctors are very scientifically minded. And for some reason, they connect this dot of like, well, if I haven't heard of it, then it's not, it's not science and it's not real. Instead of being able to admit like, oh, maybe there's a disease that I haven't heard of. And of course, there's a disease they haven't heard of. There's like however many diseases out there. I, I have no idea what the number is, but there's just so many. So I, I, I just, it, it just always, they blame the patient sometimes or, you know, right. and it's just so unfair. And you're just doing your best, you know, like I, I am undiagnosed, so I don't know what I have. And I always have to try to convince doctors that I have something, but uh, it must oh, be so go. frustrating to know what you have and still not be able to get the doctors to believe you. That's ridiculous. Right. Okay. So like most respiratory patients will tell you and doctors that will be honest, will tell you that the gold standard in respiratory disease treatment um, for air hunger, lung pain, shortness of breath is morphine. Hmm. Um, so when I'm going, I take, you know, medications every day and that I can't breathe. But when I go through my respiratory failures, they have to increase it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, then I get questioned because of the whole, you know, circle back to the war on drugs. And yeah. the patient doesn't know what they're talking about, like we just discussed. And so when I tried to educate them on why I need this specific medication, they want to hassle me about it instead of just giving it to me so I can breathe. Wow. And then here comes the pulmonologist to save the day and be like, yes, I did order it. And this is why, but we shouldn't have to fight. Um, healthcare professionals that don't know when we're just trying to help them to know for another patient in the future, because if you're going to get me, you're going to get somebody else who's more complicated to me than me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you take medication every day and morphine is for the, the respiratory failure. Are, are you on a low dose of morphine every day or what, what other medications yeah, are you um, taking? Oh, oh my goodness. I'm on a very low dose of morphine. I take um, a total of 20 milligrams a day okay. of morphine for my lungs. And um, like I said, on respiratory failures, when I am admitted to the hospital, they do have to increase it. And then I take cell sep also known as microphenolate. It's a um, it's for the autoimmune um, to slow down the progression of the lung disease. It's an M, what's it called? Anti-rejection drug. Okay. Um, but they also use it for autoimmune disorders. Yeah. Um, I take Xarelto uh, for clotting issues that they think is now a new autoimmune disorder that has showed its ugly head. And... They, uh, let's see, I take uh, trizanidine for muscle spasms, Xanax for uh, anxiety, um, and for to relax my lungs, Lamictal and um, lithium, because I do have some mental health disorders, but you factor in all the medical diagnosis I have, the mental is going to come behind it. 
Mm-hmm. So that's just to stay healthy, uh, help with the anxiety and the depression. Um, then we have Bumex because if I gain more than three pounds a day, I have to take it or I pass up, I fill up with water. Um, and then I can't breathe because it goes to my lungs. Mm-hmm. And then when you add that medication, you have to add in potassium. So then there's two extra medications that I have to take occasionally. I take hydromorphone for my chronic pain. Um, I take, I have a new, I got two new ones because of the stroke. Um, but I can't remember what they are. I, I'm sorry. Oh, that's totally um, fine. There's like 25. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't that's name so, them all, but lot. those are the ones I can remember. <laughs> that's a, you remembered a lot. I mean, that's <laughs> quite the regimen. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious about, you know, you mentioned anxiety and depression. I think that anyone in your scenario would be anxious and experience depression because it's just such an intense medical journey to be on and you're, you're getting all this pushback from doctors and you're just trying to breathe, you know, you're just trying to get air in your lungs and even that is a struggle. So how do you, you know, we, we talked about the medications that you take to help with the anxiety and depression. But is there anything mentally that helps? Is anything that helps distract you or any um, anything that helps lighten the load emotionally? Um, just, uh, I'm, I'm learning about distraction because usually I get inside my head hmm. and I stay there until the um, attack passes, I guess you could say. But I've had some really good nurses that have um, taught me um introduced me to tiktok so i'm like okay i got to track so i go to tiktok um i don't necessarily i I might have six videos up but i like to watch everybody so um tiktok youtube facebook social media so i'm sorry hold on my brain kind of locked up on me social (laughs) media yeah social media um, is my outlet. Um, I have friends that I will, like, I'm, I'm having a bad day. I will contact them and be like, hey, what's going on? I want to know about you instead of you focusing on me. Because if we focus on me, I'm just going to crawl right back up inside my head. Mm-hmm. So let's change the subject. Um, I do. Um, I color. Um, I think I'm one of the people that brought adult coloring back to the forefront. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. I have some friends that do that. It's very therapeutic. Yes. I've been doing it for years and people used to make fun of me because this was before adult coloring books came out. So all I had was the um, children's coloring book and the crayons and markers. And so I would, I would go to the hospital and I would color my coloring books and my nurses are like, so you like to color? And I'm like, yes, because it distracts me and it helps with the anxiety because I get to focus mm-hmm. on something else. And then a few years later, everybody's coloring. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. So it's not as oh, simple-minded as you guys are making it out to be years ago. You, you see? So yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> and yeah. I have ADHD, so if I get off music, I'm not getting back on. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I love that you have those outlets and TikTok is great. I mean, that's how we connected was through TikTok. And there's days yeah. where, you know, when I'm not having a bad day, 
and I can't get off the couch because my body's not working so well. I love scrolling through TikTok. It's a great way to feel connected to the world. And I think, you know, even just through COVID, when so much of the world is shut down, just having a, a, a quick and easy way to kind of scroll through and see what other humans are doing. Like you said, you love people. And TikTok is just such a great way to connect. You know, I, I really enjoy it as well. It's, I, I love having mindless um, distractions. I feel like getting, get, like you said, getting out of your head, getting into the present, hearing about what your friends are doing. Um, you know, these things become so important when you're in pain all the time. And it sounds like, it almost sounds silly because it's so simple. And, it, you know, if I were at the beginning of my pain journey and someone told me, yeah, you just need to distract yourself, I'd be so mad. I'd be like, that's the stupidest advice I've ever heard. But now it's the advice that I give all the time. It's like, find something mindless and silly that gets you out of your head that, um, that distracts you because it really does help to have those moments of reprieve when your mind isn't focused on what your body's experiencing. Right, right. Because like many, many people live in pain and bodies that just, like you said earlier, turned on them. Mm. So when we get a moment where we can come and focus outside of ourselves, we need that simple distraction, like you said. And if it wouldn't have been for some great nurses that taught me that, I would still be inside my head 16 years later because mm. some days it's like, how do you get out of your head? It's so bad because it's all you see. It's all you feel. Yeah. So just to have those few moments is some days everything. Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about your friends and family and how they have reacted to your changing health situation? Um, so, um, like I said, I have to live with my mom and stepdad now, um, because I go into respiratory failure so quick, like it's mind boggling, mm. even to my pulmonologist, how quickly I go into respiratory failure compared to other patients. Um, I have to have 24 seven monitoring. So I live with my mom and my stepdad and my mom, bless her heart. And I don't mean that in the old bless your heart honey i just bless her heart i have put so much extra stress on her um and my stepdad recently uh, that i kind of feel guilty mm. uh, for taking up their twilight years mm. i don't where they should be able to be able to do what they need to do they can't because i mean one of them's always got to be there mm. um do you want to say hi to my podcast? Hi, my nurse. <laughs> Hello. Oh, great. Hi, my, my, my amazing nurse. Cindy. Hello. Hi, I'm Jesse. Um, <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, uh-huh. And then some of my friends, they bolted in the beginning. They didn't want to deal with it. Hmm. Um, and then, but I have some, a few remaining that, you know, we made a connection. We have a love for each other that they were able to stick around, I guess. I mean, cause I mean, I am in the hospital all the time. They get tired. If you see my Facebook feed, you would see like, Oh my God, this, this woman just never shuts up about. And it's not that I'm looking for sympathy or anything when I'm posting on Facebook. 
it's just I'm letting everybody know, okay, this is what's going on today. So if you don't hear from me for a few days, you know why. Yeah. Um, it's it's my telephone system, if you will. Because like COVID, I can't have anybody over and I can't go anywhere. So video has and messaging has become important to me. But I have some great friends. They're funny. Um, we have a sense of humor that most people don't get. And I have to be really careful because I have a very dark sense of humor that I've developed with EMS and the chronic illness that sometimes even my nurses are a little like, did you just say that? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, um, sorry. Um, but I find it, you know, it doesn't bother me. So if it doesn't bother me, then, I, you know, kind of thing. Um, I don't, I don't. It's so hard because I can't get out and enjoy my friends and go to the movies and have dinner. Um, or my mom and stepdad and, and show my appreciation for dinner and just outings. Because I get so tired. Like just drive, like I said, I live about an hour and a half from my specialty hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so just driving round trip, I'm out for a couple of days. So we never do anything because they never know how exhausted I'm going to be. Yeah. So we just, uh, movie nights at home, I guess. Uh, when they lift the COVID restrictions, maybe I can go to a movie theater with my friends. That would be fun. Yeah. You know, this is something that's come up before this idea of friends bailing when someone comes down with a serious illness and it's so hard. It's like, not only is something happening to your body that you can't control that you don't want to be happening, but you have to fight. But people then discard you. It's like, oh, this person is sick, so I don't want to be their friend anymore. And I, I don't really understand what the... I mean, it must be like some sort of a fear response or... I, I, I think it's fear. Hmm. Um, like, I have to admit that maybe in the past I might be a little guilty of being hmm. one of those friends who jump ship. Not intentionally and... You know, through occasionally I will contact a person and be like, hey, how you been? But as far as the way it used to be, it's no longer. Yeah. Um, and because I burned that bridge now that I understand, I can't even get that response like you screwed up. There's no fixing it. Um, but I think it's fear because a lot of people don't know how to react to us. They don't know how not to come off as condescending or piteous or um, to deal or cope with what we're going through. And yeah. we're constantly change, canceling and changing plans. Yeah. <laughs> and people just get tired of that. And they're like, you know, and it's frustrating for us. The frustrating thing is like, it, this is your life, you know, like this is what you have to talk about because it's what you're experiencing and it's really hard and it's really difficult and you need to be able to express it, especially to your friends. So I, yeah, I mean that this is something I think about a lot. It's like, how much do I tell people, my friends and family, my loved ones, how much do I tell them about what I'm experiencing? Cause I'm in pain all the time. It's like, no one wants to hear I'm in pain all the time, but we also need to say it because it's true and it needs to be expressed. So it's, right. a, it's a really tricky thing. It is. It's like if they can't see it themselves, it doesn't exist and they don't understand it. And it's not just a headache and it's not just too many, you know, 
uh, reps at the gym kind of pain. Mm. This is pain. This is not our pain is a little bit, you know, everybody's pain is pain. Please don't think I'm taken away from pain. But what I'm saying is when you have a chronic illness or a chronic injury that creates chronic pain, it's a little bit different. The intensity, the um, severity of it is a little bit different. Um, and that's what we have a hard time expressing. Yeah. And I think for me, the Go difference ahead. is the the indefinite nature of it. It's like, yeah, this pain might be like a five on the pain scale or a four. Right. But if it's all day, every day, if that's your baseline, that wears your nervous system down so that it makes it really hard to process information or to think straight or to have a normal conversation. Um, and then if you have a bad pain day, if it goes up to like a five or a six or a seven, it's like, wow, this pain that's always there is extra bad today and I just can't function through it. So you never get a break. You only get moments of some relief no. where it's a little less bad, but it's, it's fundamentally mm -hmm. different than, um, than a pain that is transient, a pain that's going to pass. Just not knowing if it will pass also creates this whole emotional aspect of like the anxiety of worrying about right. it too. So, yeah. And, you know, I don't like to compare one person's pain to another because it's impossible to, to know that because we can only exist in our own bodies. But I do, right. but there is a fundamental difference there between, um, you know, acute pain and chronic pain for sure. Right, right. Um, but on the Facebook thing, you know, where I post, um, I've also got like my really close friends that haven't bailed on me. They look toward, for that interaction on Facebook every day. If they notice two days have gone by that I have not even, shared a meme they're like frankie are you in the hospital frankie mm. are you okay because they understand that instead of sending each person an individual message like i was saying my telephone system i post it on facebook if i'm if i'm interacting with facebook they know i'm i'm okay mm. i'm not on a ventilator um which you know, is something I have to deal with. I've been on it four times. Um, and I'm mildly um, engaged in the day. Yeah. Even if it's one meme about something just off, just crazy, that I wouldn't, you know, they're like, okay, she's interacting, she's okay. So that's how I use yeah. the, uh, Facebook. So there's something I should have asked you at the very beginning of the conversation, but I, I am so curious to know. So you're in the infusion ward right now. What infusion are you getting today? Oh, I am getting an IVIG infusion um, for my IgG deficiency. Mm. Is an weakened immune system. Yeah. So um, where my immune system runs low, so... A common cold could put me on a respirator. So I have to get these infusions behind me um, to get the plasma that gives me the antibodies for cold, flu, mm. um, pneumonia on top of the vaccines that I've already had to get for the antibodies. So gotcha. I've got to keep, keep antibodies in my system. How often do you have to do that? 
every four weeks. Wow. So you must have to take COVID precautions very seriously because if you already have a lung disease, COVID would be a real problem. Right. Yes, I do. Um, I wear a mask depending where I'm going. I know, I know they said the mask doesn't work fully, but depending where I'm going, I may wear two. Mm-hmm. Um, I carry hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipes with me in my car, in my bag at all times. My, uh, my parents are very they, uh, self-aware of precautions. So when they're in public, um, they use the uh, masks and the hand sanitizer and the hand washing and the disinfectant wipes. Um, when I say we have disinfectant wipes, I mean, when we go to the store, we wipe down the basket. Mm. Um, we wipe down items as we pick them up. When we get to the car, we wipe down our cars and the, our hands and the steering wheels and everything. I mean, it's not just, you know, this is, it's almost like getting ready for surgery every time, just getting in and out of the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so, so much work. That's why I stay home. Yeah. Most of the time, and like I was saying in the beginning, I only get out to go to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, Frankie, you've done a really incredible job today. I know your energy is so limited, and I just really appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, you've done an incredible job, and I'm really honored to share your story because I want to create a place for people to talk about what they're experiencing without judgment and to express what's going on. And I know how hard that is. And I just, you just did such an amazing job. And I, I just have one more question for you, but I have to say that first is I'm really impressed with. um, I feel like I stumbled. Thank you. Oh no, you did amazing. Yeah. You did so great. Um, My last question for you is if, if you were to be able to address someone who was just diagnosed with your lung disease, um, now that you're a few years down the road experiencing it, what, would you tell someone who was just diagnosed um, with my lung disease Yeah, and what I had to go through, I would tell them to fight the anxiety diagnosis mm. that, because we look like we have anxiety attacks all the time because of our, um, the way our respiration rate happens and the bigger inhale, you know, that we take, the more oxygen we're going to get into our system. So when we're having, it looks like we're having a panic attack, but all we're doing is trying to get the oxygen in. So then our our vital uh, signs are normal. They're Mm. within normal limits. So they won't listen to us. Mm, You have to get yourself to calm down and you have to get yourself to make them believe that. And remember, not everybody is textbook. There's no one person that's going to present the same way. Um, or two people, I'm sorry, that are going to present the same way. And um, so just fight through that diagnosis of it's just an anxiety attack and being dismissed. I've gotten better with it, but I still need to work on it myself. Yeah, I mean, learning to advocate for yourself in a medical system that often blames patients or doesn't take them seriously is a lifelong challenge. And that's, it's, it's so hard. And that's great advice. I really appreciate that. Well, Frankie, do you want to plug your TikTok or do, is there anything that you want to share or direct our audience towards? Um, well, right now I'm trying to help with the chronic pain community and um, like in pain stigma um, mm-hmm. yeah. on TikTok or Facebook. Um, so I've been kind of talking with them and Spoonie Mel 
um, on TikTok um, who are advocating for the chronic pain patients because of the guidelines in 2016 being misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure yourself has experienced some, oh, it's pain. You must, you know, be in here for a reason. And then they send you out the door without figuring out that reason. Um, but, um, but like, I'm just getting the, the courage to post videos, but I go by spent S P E N T two, seven, eight on TikTok. Um, so I'm working on sharing my story. I got two videos up lately of me, but the rest are not. (laughs) Well, I'll definitely, uh, I'll post a clip of this interview and I'll tag you on TikTok when I do. If people want to find yeah, you. sounds good. I'm um, I'm sorry. I my anxiety is taking over here at the end. Um, I, I like I said, I feel like I stumbled through it. But I mean, if if you're good, I'm good. I'm great. I I really feel like you did amazing. I know, I know that your energy is limited, and to even have a coherent conversation with limited energy is so difficult. And everything you said was was, was very clear and very relatable. And I I think you did a really awesome job. Frankie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for asking me and inviting me on your show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, and Brooke Walters Schmidt, and our $25 per month producer Steve Cavanaugh. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition and gifts at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.